Morning, everybody. Well, we got something that's kind of fun. Uh, if you have a, a smartphone, um, there's a program called Uversion. So it'll work on any of your phones. So if you have a smartphone and you, they can get Wi-Fi on here, you can pull up uh, this program called Uversion, Y-O-U version, V, oh gosh. Math and spelling you should do in public. Um, V-E-R-S-I-O-N, uversion.com. It's a free Bible app. And actually our service order is right on there. So you can follow along there. So if you want to do that, you can take a look. Um, so Jesus said um, to his disciples, in this world you will face trouble. In this world you will have trouble. Uh, and I would say that's true. Uh, the Vikings have had a little bit of trouble in the last two weeks. Well, all season. Um, uh, the, uh, the WikiLeaks guy, Julian Assange, is in a little bit of trouble. Uh, if you haven't been following up on the news, his business is busted. He's in the UK. I'm not sure if he's been extradited to Sweden yet, but uh, you know, then there's the whole US espionage. It's, uh, it's kind of a big deal. We couldn't have service. That was a little bit of trouble last week. Uh, but when you look at the Bible story, like really the nativity, the story of how Jesus came into the world, it is filled, littered with trouble. I mean, think about it. There's a single pregnant teenager. There's a pilgrimage to Bethlehem. There's a packed house or hotel or whatever with no vacancy. And there's this paranoid king that like is going to be on a rampage to kill Jesus. I would say it's filled with trouble. Um, now, I'm not the only one, and I don't think the, the world is the only one that's filled with trouble. Uh, some of you uh, just finished your college finals or are still in the midst of them. That's a little bit of trouble. I had four papers uh, and, a, and an exam that was brutal. But, but those things end. It's like I just have to go through this really tough time for a week or two weeks, or, but then it's over. Some of us um, are in some financial trouble. Sometimes it's just a matter of the season, uh, the season being like the last two years of economic downturn, um, of your 401ks and your savings being cut in half, or skimping by on Christmas the last few years. And, and it's kind of like, you know what? I've, I've skimped by the last couple years, and even if I have to pay for it for three months, I'd really like to get people that I love some nice gifts. Um, but some of us are trying to sell houses that we bought for here but are now worth here. And it's a matter of a short sale and it's a matter of finding a buyer. And, and so skimping by at Christmas means something totally different. Um, some people are laid off. That's financial trouble. Now, some, some people, it's, it's, not, it's similar. It's work trouble. Maybe you're not laid off, but, but you hate your job. And I, if you know me, I don't use the word hate very often. But really, if you think about it, you just hate it. You don't like going there. Um, you, you wonder if you should quit. You wonder if there's something else that you could be doing. Um, you wonder if you should just let yourself be fired. <laughs> um, and what's the wise thing to do in this work trouble? The, the Christmas season is a time to be together. It's time for family time. But that also brings family trouble. Um, people together for, for longer periods of time than a day or two, that third and fourth day, 
some things start to come out that had been under the surface for years and years and years. And it's like, oh, oh it's so good to be together. <laughs> but for some of you um, who've lost a loved one in the last year and you're facing your first Christmas without a person, you are wanting to take the unhealth because it would mean they're still there. And there's family trouble. I know of, of three couples I've talked to in the last two or three weeks that desperately want to have children. They want to add to their family. It's trouble. It's hard. It's a challenge. Um, and some of us are having faith trouble. We're, we're doubting um, and we're asking questions of doubt. We're asking big questions of life. Um, we're, we're wondering, you know, if there really is a God and he revealed himself in Jesus Christ, then, then he, is he really the best answer to our faith dilemmas, to our faith trials? And how do we go about exploring that in a way that, that doesn't seem closed off or shoved down my throat or I just really wish I could know? And so there's all kinds of trouble. Um, the Bible calls these things trials. Uh, the Bible calls them tests. The Bible calls them temptations. Uh, but the big question to ask, I think, this morning is, is how do you respond when you face those troubles or trials or tests or tribulations? The Bible has a ton to say about it. But before we do that, you know, we, we usually, if you've been here before, we have this kind of meet and greet time. So we're going to kind of put you out of your comfort zones a little bit. There's questions on your tables. You can pick which one you want to answer or you can pass if you want to pass, and you can go back and get a bagel if you want to get a bagel or refill your coffee. But if you'll go there with me um, and ask one of those questions at your table, um, how do you face these troubles? What, what troubles do you think that Mary and Joseph faced? So just take a few minutes, introduce yourself if you haven't done it before, and take a couple minutes, and then we'll come back together. To do something like that, that is part of church that's very much this relationality that we have with God and with each other so thank you for sharing um, and rather than just start to read you uh, where I think the troubles of the Christmas story are um, I want to experience that story from Joseph's perspective so if you have your Bible and you want to follow along um, I'm in Matthew chapter 1 about verse 18 but I will um, I'll be Joseph, I guess, in the story. Uh, so I'm not going to change clothes. Uh, but, but anyway, we'll get started. <sighs> I, I don't know. I'm told that helps. <coughs> Glee. Um, trouble. When I think about trouble... I think about people who aren't going to pay me for the work that I've done, putting their house together, creating furniture for them. Trouble is, you know, giving a bid and having the person say yes, doing the work, and then saying, oh, no, thank you. That's the kind of trouble I faced. I was, I was good at what I did, and, and I got to be a pretty good carpenter, even as a teenager. So about 18 years old, I'm, I'm working hard. I'm almost to the point where I can go off on my own. And my parents come to me and they say, you know, Joseph, you work a little bit too much. But don't worry, we found a girl for you. 
her parents are coming over, and, and her name's Mary, and she's very cute. She's actually got a nickname. that. Um, but anyway, she'll be here um, tonight. So if things go well, you know, we'd like to arrange the marriage. Okay, that's trouble. Um, but actually, it turned out good. She came over, and uh, she's kind of cute. She seemed sweet. And so we hit it off, and we started imagining what life would be like together. And, and then we were engaged, which here doesn't mean a lot, but for us, it meant, like, basically we were married. We were, I was planning and building our house, she was planning the wedding, but socially people saw us as married. Um, we didn't get all the benefits of being married, but we were contracted, if you will. We were engaged. We were almost married. And then she came to me one day, several months down the road, and she's like, um, not exactly sure how to tell you this, but I had a dream. I'm like, okay, that's fine. It's a dream. You seem startled by this dream. Well, I'm kind of was told I'm going to be pregnant. Okay, wait a second. Like, you were kind of told you were going to be pregnant, you're pregnant, or you had a dream about being pregnant after we're married. Uh, like, uh, God said I'm going to be pregnant. Oh, God said now. Oh, that's convenient. Um, can you elaborate? An angel came, said I have favor with God, and I'm going to bear the Son of God. Uh, yeah, that's trouble. I, I wish I could say I responded well. I didn't. Uh, I told her I'm going to need time to think about it, and she went to go visit her cousin Mary, or Elizabeth, who was conveniently pregnant. But as she was on that visit, um, I had a dream. An angel visited me, as I had kind of decided, you know what, even though the law says I don't have to marry her, that I can actually write up a divorce um, for this contract, this engagement, I can, I can just divorce her. And that's, a, that's actually a good thing. You might think I'm a bad person for that, but like the law would say that I could have her stoned. And so just quietly divorcing her is, is an okay thing to do, and, and I'm just going to do that. And I'd kind of made that up in my mind. She could stay with Elizabeth. Nobody would really have to deal with it. It wouldn't be, it'd be as private as it could be. And then, like I said, an angel came to me and said, Joseph, don't be afraid. Which, if you think about it, it's kind of an oxymoron. I mean, an angel of the Lord is coming to you and saying, don't be afraid. I was afraid. And he said, don't be afraid. What Mary said is true. She will have this baby, but you, Joseph, you are to name him Jesus. And I just really felt like in the midst of that trouble and that trial and not knowing what to do, that God had given me a role in that, that I didn't feel prepared for, that I didn't really know what to do, but, but we learned to deal with it. She came back, and, and we dealt with the people saying the things that they would say. Uh, and we were starting to get into a groove, and then 
the Caesar, the, the Roman Empire, said, uh, we're going to issue a, a census. We'd like to find out how many people there are so we can give you more taxes. And so you've all got a journey to your hometowns. Uh, great. That meant that I had to go to Jerusalem. And I had to take Mary with me. She had to be in Jerusalem too. And we were already married at that point, And she was very pregnant at that point. And so we went to Jerusalem, to Bethlehem, to the city of David in Judea. And as we're traveling there, it was very hard. There was a lot of trouble. There was a lot of trials. And yet we get there to Bethlehem, and we can't find a place to stay. And conveniently, none of our relatives have any room. I don't know if it was because they really didn't have any room or if it was because they just really didn't want to be seen with us, the sinners that got married even though Mary was pregnant so we had to search and search and search and the only thing we could find was a stable, really a cave. And here I am the carpenter and I can't even give this boy, this son of God, which again I'm still trying to figure out, a proper bed. I mean, it was like a feeding trough. So it's cold, dark, wet, we're alone. Trouble. Some angels came, or some shepherds showed up and said there were some angels, so that was a bright side. Um, but then the census, you know, nothing works well in government. Same was true then. Uh, so the census was taking a really long time, so we're in Bethlehem a really long time, and these, these people from out of town showed up. They called them wise men. They called them magi. They were dressed in very different fancy clothes. They showed up at our door. They come in. Our... our Jesus, not our, my son, but the boy I'm taking care of is like running around, walking around like a toddler does. And, and these men come in and they sit down, they bow down, they worship him. They say, this is the one that we were told about from the star. And we were told that we were to come. And we came and we sought and we, we're here and here are these gifts. They hand us these expensive things that, that I'm a little shocked by. I'm hoping the neighbors don't see and, and then they say, they stay, and then they say, by the way, uh, we asked Herod, King Herod, where, where this child was to be born. They said Bethlehem, so we made it here, but we were warned in a dream not to go back. So we just want you to know we're not going to go back. We're going to take another route. And that was troubling to me. So troubling, and I, I'm not sure when, but, but I got another dream. This is now my third dream, I think. Um, and they said, Joseph, get up, this angel said. Get up, take your, take your wife, take the child. Flee to Egypt for this baby is going to try and be killed by Herod. Okay. So, so I get up and I leave and we pack up again. We've, we've been in Bethlehem and now we're fleeing to Egypt and, and we're there for months and months and months and months and months and months. And we have to start our life over. And Egypt for a Jew is like the armpit of the universe. We do not want to be there. And years go by and, and an angel appears again. And now I'm starting to think I have a frequent flyer card with the angel. Like trouble comes, but yet at the same time, 
I'm starting to learn that that this that maybe God has a plan. Maybe God is watching out for us. Maybe as I trust God, even when I don't understand what's going on, um, maybe it's going to be okay. And the angel appears again and says, "Get up, take your family back to Egypt, or from Egypt to Judah." For the one who is trying to kill your son is dead. Now we've got more than one child. And, and so we're hauling our family, our growing family, back. And we have to start over. The only problem with this is that, that the, the Herod, the king, that, that was in the land before was erratic and killed his children when he thought they were going to conspire against him. But now his son, who's even more crazy... Um, Archelaus, he's ruling the region. So we're like, I don't want to go back there. And an angel appears again and says, go up. Go up to Nazareth and live there. So we go in the region, go up to Galilee, where a less crazy son is ruling, and we start our life over again. Trouble. Trials, tribulation. I guess what I learned through them is that that maybe, maybe I can be the father of the Son of God. That maybe as I trusted God, as these angels appeared, as we went through these things, I just learned that God was going to take care of us. It wasn't easy. It was actually rather difficult but we were okay. So we saw a clip in The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, a book, movie, and it it shows these tests, these trials, these tribulations. Lucy is the girl who looked in the, the book, this spell book, and saw this spell to be beautiful, and she started imagining what it would be like to be beautiful, and she started imagining so much that she thought of the most beautiful person she could think of, which was her sister, and so she started to imagine what her life would be as her sister, almost to the point where she became her sister and thus lost herself. Her brother, Edmund, who'd been like the younger brother to the high king, who'd always kind of been second-place guy, I can relate to him, he, uh, they found an island that turned this pool of water that anything that touched it turned to gold and he started to think about the power that if you own this island and you could turn anything to gold, the wealth and the power that you could have and he starts thinking about the power, he starts thinking about the rule and, and the king that's in the scene in the book or the movie, the king that's there starts thinking about that power and they get into this battle over this power that they could control and almost kill each other in the process. There's a a crabby cousin named Eustace who, who comes accidentally into the book, into the movie, into the scene. And they end up at this island where they find this dragon and this dragon is dead or is dying and dies. And he finds the dragon's gold and he starts thinking about the gold that he could have. And he starts thinking about the greed and thinking about it. And the book says it so beautifully. He starts thinking these dragon-like thoughts and wanting these dragon-like possessions. And then he becomes a dragon. He falls into this temptation. And see, when I read that book, I think of each of those characters, and I think those are temptations. 
There's a temptation for power. There's a temptation for beauty. There's a temptation for greed. And, and those all make sense to me. Temptations, I can categorize all of them. When I think about the, the narrative of the birth of Christ and the, the perspective of Joseph, I don't think temptation. In fact, I, I just think of trouble. I think of trial. I don't even know if it's testing. And see, the Bible, especially in English, they use all these different words that what I found in the study was they all, they're all the same word. Um, the best word, I guess, would be translated trial. But in, in the Hebrew and the Greek, the word means the same thing. Whether it's a temptation or a test, it's the same word, which is conveying the same idea. So I started thinking about what that meant, and I started studying what other people thought that meant. And really, it comes down to this perspective. What perspective are you looking from? So when you, we go back to our big question of how do you respond when trials or troubles come your way, I think it depends on what perspective you're looking at. So go to the book of James, which tells, like, beautifully explains this. James chapter 1 talks about these two perspectives on trials or two perspectives on trouble. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. But if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. So this perspective that James is writing from in these particular verses, he's writing from the God perspective. How God sees these trials, these tests, these things that come into our life, he sees them as an opportunity. He sees it as an opportunity to purify us. He sees it as an opportunity to strengthen us. It says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. What really, what it's trying to convey there is whenever, whenever you're surrounded by trials, whenever you're surrounded by troubles, you're supposed to have joy. Why? Next verse, because God knows that when, we're fa- when our faith is tested, perseverance or endurance, or sometimes the Bible translates it patience, has a chance to grow. So endurance and perseverance, they kind of seem like abstract words. I think of marathon running when I hear that. But yet, what this, I think what it's trying to convey is, is really this, this attitude of patience. And the best way to explain that is if you've ever sat with someone that's been married for like 40 or 50 or 60 years, you know these people, and they can look at each other, and, and so, then the, the man that's usually like doesn't have very much hair and kind of wrinkly, he'll just go, my wife, she just puts up with me. She's so patient with me. That's the word that it's using. Like, if you asked that old man who's been married 50 or 60 years, like, what do you mean by saying your wife is so patient with you? I think he would say, oh, she puts up with me. She's not going to leave me. She's patient. She's got endurance. She has persevered, and there is no doubt in his mind, that she will ever leave. That's the relational idea that this word endurance needs to have. Like, so when our faith is tested, God knows that this 
idea of patience, this idea of endurance, this idea of perseverance, this idea that God will never leave and I'll never leave him is growing and growing and growing to the point where it says we're mature, perfect, complete, like we're filled. We have peace with God. We know without a shadow of a doubt, no matter what comes into our life, that we won't leave God and God won't leave us. That's the thing that God sees in every trial that comes. And and he kind of climaxes it way down in verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Having stood up to the test, that person receives a crown of life. It's like we talk about, when we talk about eternal life, it's not just some far off thing that happens before you die, but it's really this idea that, that starts now, that we have this eternal relationship with God that starts now and continues into eternity. And so this picture, this crown of life, this phrase is really trying to give this picture of that idea that that eternal life that starts now and goes on, we get that, we receive that. When we stand up, when we persevere under these trials, not knowing, because some of you know, like I've talked to you, your trials are huge. Your troubles are hard right now. You don't know which way is up in some of them. And the verses say, it's okay, ask for wisdom. If any of you lack wisdom, ask for it. God will give it generously. The point isn't solving it. The point is persevering through it, being patient with it, suffering through it, knowing that God will be there and is there and will continue to. That's the God perspective. That's the encouragement. But there's another perspective. That, that it would be great to, be, to just end there and say, we'll sing a song and we'll get to go. Except there's another perspective. It's something that we all face all the time. And that's the perspective from the evil one. Verse 13. The Satan perspective is, starts in verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. And then after desire has been conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. So from this Satan perspective, the other side of this, the temptation. So we've got the test, the God perspective, the positive. It can purify us. It can strengthen us. Then we have this other side, this temptation perspective on trials. Where Satan's perspective is if he can pervert us, if he can weaken us, if he can isolate us, if he can guilt us, then you know what? That's going to lead to evil actions. If I'm totally alone and I don't think that God can solve this problem and there's nobody that likes me and there's no power that I can, I can't understand this. I can't, I can't relate to anyone about this. I can't talk to anyone about this. I'm just going to spin and spin and spin. Then, then those evil actions, it says, lead possibly to death. Maybe some of us have been around people that have se- where we've seen that spiral. And whether it was a sin that was from Satan or whether it was just our own evil actions or their, that person's own evil actions, I guess the point in these verses is that doesn't really matter. The point is that you see them spinning and you see the desperation and going out of control and lower and lower and lower. And some of them have even taken their own life. Just a vivid example that sometimes these evil actions do actually lead to death. But for a lot of us, those evil actions don't lead to a physical death. 
They just lead to a darkness where, where we're awake, but we're not really alive. We're not really living the life that God intended for us. We're just kind of existing. And that's the other kind of death that I think here. And that's the kind of death that Satan wants for us. He wants, he wants to steal and kill and destroy. That's his goal. And if he can't actually kill us, then he'll just make us feel like we're dead. Feel like we're alone. Feel like there's no hope. And so if we believe in Christ, if we believe in Jesus, and we have a relationship with God, Satan knows he cannot strip that away. So he'll just make us feel like we're dead. That's the temptation perspective. And yet, there's this God perspective that God says, no, this is a chance to purify, to strengthen, so that you know beyond a shadow of doubt, no matter what the trial is, that he is there. That's why I think it says, consider it joy. And and, and, uh, how it kind of translates from the, the original language is like, count it all joy, like do it once, do it now, do it for all time. Count it, decide today, like, you know what, I'm not going not gonna to have a little bit of joy with a whole lot of grief. I'm going to have complete joy. I might not thank God for being in this trial, but I am going to decide that I'm going to be thankful, knowing that that. God has this purpose and this plan and knowing that he is going to strengthen me. Now for me, when I think about that big question, how do you respond when you're facing all kinds of trouble? When you're facing these trials? When I look at my life and I think about how I respond, um, as a kid, uh, I was small, I got picked on a lot, and so for me, like when trials or troubles are coming, like, I, I mean, I know kung fu and karate as words. I don't actually, I don't actually know how to move my arms like this. So I, 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 I never won a fight. Um, but that's when I think of trials and troubles coming my way, that's what I think of. Like I put my hands up and I'm ready to protect myself and I don't think anyone's going to be there. It's like me and I've got to use all my efforts. The adrenaline kicks in, and I'm like, all right, God. And if I pray, it's like, okay, God, help me to actually know how to make this movement to fight whatever physical or imagined enemy there is. But what I'm learning, because I'm still in process, and that's what we thing we believe at Restoration, is that spiritual life is a process that we don't, like, we don't have this cookie cutter, this, I, this finished product, like we say, okay, I'll, I'll decide that Jesus is, is the way to life, and then everything's okay. I become this perfect person. We don't believe that. So I'm still learning. And so what I'm learning to do is I'm learning that when troubles come my way, I'm learning to go, okay, there's an adrenaline rush that I feel coming on. Why is that? Slow it down and go, okay, what is God wanting my response to be? And I practice counting. Not like what I practice counting when my kids are angry and I'm like, I'm going to count to three or five because they don't respond at three. So we had to change it to five a couple years ago. Um, but not ten. Not that kind of counting. The kind of counting that James is talking about. This counting of joy. I start practicing, you know what, God? I'm going to do it once. I'm going to count joy. 
I'm going to say thank you that you consider me worthy of someone who wants to be purified, who wants to be strengthened. Not thankful for the trial, but I'm going to be thankful that you're here, that you're deciding to change my life, that you're deciding to strengthen my life, and that you must think that with you there, I can handle it. So sometimes we get this cliche that God doesn't give us anything that we can't handle. I think it's a lie. God just all the time gives us stuff we can't handle so that we learn to draw his power, his strength. So for you today, what does it mean for you to have joy? What does it mean for you to be thankful in your trials and in your troubles? What does it mean for you to not see it from the temptation side, but yet to see it from the side of testing, from the side that God is coming from? I think that happens for us individually, but I also think that happens for us communally. What's our response when there's a snowstorm and the city calls us and says, you can't be here? How do we respond to that? Do we have joy and go, okay, we're going to figure this out? As a community, we're going to have more of those things. I can't imagine what they are, but I know we will. And it's an opportunity for God not only to strengthen the individual, but to strengthen us as a community. And so we respond with joy that he is going to make us what he plans for us if we allow it. So let's pray and sing um, a song of joy. Father God, I thank you um, for this perspective um, from this book of James of trials and tests and temptation, these two sides of the same thing. Um, God, forgive us when we enter the Christmas story and the Christmas season saying, we know it all, we've heard it all, um, we give some gifts, we're trying to be thankful. Forgive us for that. Help us to see the story as new and fresh, that what you did 2,000 years ago, you're still doing today. Give us joy today in the midst of whatever we face. In Jesus' name, amen.